0: opportunity to come before your throne of grace we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need we honor you and we love you we lift you up we magnify you we extol you oh god you're worthy 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 to be praised and adored and we thank you we bless you and we praise you in jesus name amen and praise god amen 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 <clears throat> Well, yesterday we began talking about the fact that problem solvers are one in three million. Amen. Um, And that is is um, it, it. Just is true. You know, you'll you'll find that there are many people. It doesn't take much wisdom or much compassion to find problems. And to be a critic, and we talked about there are three million critics to one problem solver in the nation of Israel, and uh, you can see why that's so. Uh, it's so easy to go along with uh, what I think what some uh, people call group think, you know. To and we're seeing it. Uh, more and more prevalent in society now because of mass communication uh, at, at one time you would have pockets of people who believe this over in this country this over in that country and this over in that country etc cetera, etc cetera. but now people have uh, access to so much information that you are finding that the enemy it's so easy for him to kind of merge people together in one common theme uh, because He has so much access to people. He also has access to censorship. And this is something that uh, really uh, uh, upsets people in this nation because this nation was founded on free speech. Uh, in fact, that's the First Amendment to the Constitution, and, and so people are always excited about that, and, and uh, you know, especially um, the press, because when they talk about freedom of the press, uh, people who work in the press always feel that that gives them a certain edge. <clears throat> over everybody else, but the press is just a part of the free speech mechanism. We all have free speech, amen? Nobody is allowed to suppress anybody from expressing their ideas or expressing their thought. There are some, uh, some, some, uh, Operations of that that are forbidden uh, from country to country, but in general, people respect that that you have a right to um, um, express yourself. The mo uh, the most um, uh, telling of those rights has to do with your freedom to worship uh because if you can't express yourself freely that will suppress you from worship worshipping freely and and so most people consider that right to be sacred much more than any of the others so if you uh, live in a place where there's no freedom of expression freedom of speech uh there's no freedom of of um, uh, uh your life um, you You tend to limit people 's. Ability even to contact God, and I think that's really the bottom line for most of it. If you look at places where uh, freedom is really, really restricted, say in places that that um, uh, have Sharia law that forbids a woman, especially, to have freedom to express herself, you'll see uh, countries where uh, women, men are allowed to beat their wives if if they don't, uh, if they disobey them, and it's just really. A, a grossly perverted idea about the voluntary submission that we have in christian marriages uh you know if 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 god is made your husband the head he did that for a reason you know and so if god honors his headship the wife should honor it too she doesn't have to. Nobody's going to compel her, beat her, whatever. God's not going to beat you up. But he'll let you see that things will go better if you would do that. Uh, it brings harmony in life, but it should not bring a restriction of of godly expression. You understand what I'm saying? You you don't submit to uh, your freedom of godly expression in your life. Uh, God is so powerful; He can cause people to come into agreement when there are things that are important to family life. You'll find that, uh, and and this has been proven over and over again by Christian couples. You know, you'll see couples who'll say, "Well, uh, I told God, you know, if, if He wants me to do something, confirm it through my husband or my wife." You know, the men will want god 's sanction uh, through the wife and the wife will want god 's sanction through the husband i 'll tell you that 's great wisdom if you can trust God to do that, you know please do because you you 'll live a lot better life that way uh, you won 't feel oppressed you won 't feel uh, robbed you won 't feel uh, taken advantage of etc etc so it 's always good to get God involved in these things, and so then uh, submission becomes a blessing. And it's not a curse. It depends on what kind of authority you submit to. But people who submit to just fear and and that type of authority, they will not be blessed. It's not a blessed situation. So, But with worldwide communication, it makes it easy to... Perpetrate falsehoods. It makes it easy to intimidate people. It makes it easy to, uh, cause people to live in fear much more, uh, than is necessary. And so when, when, uh, God sees this happening, He sees, uh, demonic forces trying to control people, then He moves in and He will have to send a deliverer. He will have to send a leader. He will have to pull somebody out from the rank and file that will fear him only this is the thing. Everybody else is fearing everything, but the one person that fears God will stand out as a leader and will stand out as a person that God can use so that He can bring liberty to everybody. So that's the, the end game of, of what God does. He wants to bring liberty to all people. Freedom to worship Him. Freedom to move uh, at His command and to receive His blessings, receive His promises. And really that's all he was doing with the nation of Israel. He was fulfilling his obligation to them to bring them out of Egyptian bondage after 430 years. The Bible even says it was 430 years to the day that that prophecy was given. That God brought them out of Egypt. But they they came out in fear. Now we talked about the the fact that they were able to uh take their journey through the red sea and then immediately after they got through with the journey they right were right back being fearful again they were uh, begging to go back to egypt uh one of the first things they experienced in the wilderness and the wilderness is not like trees and shrubs and stuff like that but wilderness is dry places it's a desert and so uh when we when we um uh understand what they were facing there were some things that that were just naturally part of it and one was thirst and so they they were they saw all that sand and all that hot uh, weather now in Egypt they had Egypt's Egyptian culture was set up so that they had a system of irrigation, wells, foot pumps, um, water flowed, but you had to make it come yourself. So when you're in a place where you don't see that familiar stuff, you get scared. They didn't see any cisterns. They didn't see any irrigation systems. They didn't see any foot pumps. They didn't see anything like that. And so they got fearful. And instead of going to their leader, crying out to God for what they needed, they kept saying they wanted to go back. Amen. And so uh God would prefer that we just cry out for our needs rather than try to make our own solution to the problem. See, as long as you're crying out to him, you have a possibility of a good result but when you make up your mind that you have your own solution you put yourself under false re, uh uh false leadership and you begin to rebel against God's plan for you And so God wants us always to take heart, take courage, come to him. Whatever need it is that we have, he will settle that and will give us the right solution. You will never come up with the right answer if you're constantly trying to figure out how to do these things yourself. It just won't happen. And so God then has to uh, take somebody aside. Somebody who is willing to listen to him. Somebody who is a worshiper and somebody who will come away with his plan. And his plan may be something that's familiar and it may be something that's totally new and different. But we got to trust God in it. We'll know that the plan was of God by the results that it brings. And so, when when Moses then is is confronted with uh, drought and with uh, thirst among the people, he goes to God. That's a pattern that he has established over the years. Uh, he always goes to God when he has a dilemma because he. He knows God called him and he knows that he has to get his answers from God. So we talked about uh, the fact that the children of Israel were were able to go through this night of fear and and come out obedient to God. And the reason they were able to do that was because of the shed blood and the blood covenant that they cut when they were still in Egypt. Uh, The blood empowers us to obey God. Anybody who says they can't obey God is needs to tap into the revelation that God would not require something from you that you cannot do, but if you are weak in your flesh to carry it out, he wants you to trust his spirit and trust his word, and He will empower you to do what 's needed to be done so they uh, uh, the blood lasted long enough for them to do god 's purpose. After they had allowed God's will to be done, they stepped out of the grace of God. Amen. Now Moses stayed in it. Israel stepped out. Now why did they stay, step out? They get persuaded by one another's fear. There's groupthink again. One person expresses fear, the other one says, agrees with them, and say, yeah, that's what's going on, yeah, let's do this, yeah, let's do that, that's, that's why it's, it's not good to come into agreement with everything that sounds familiar to you, or to let things just pass you by, or, or sit passively while people, while people express a lot of crazy stuff. You know, now I'm not saying going around correcting everybody or being a contentious person, but there will be times when an unction will come upon you to counter, uh, what the group consensus is. And, and you'll start to think for yourself. And these people are rare. If you look at Moses' generation, he was the only one. The next generation, there were only two. So here we're multiplying <laughs> by two. One plus one is two. And so uh, you know the two where Joshua and Caleb held on to the word of God. It was their faith that brought the children of Israel out totally. So that they could go into the promised land. Because God has to see faith in somebody for him to move. He just can't push people. You ever try to to convince somebody to do something and they're totally against it? You can't force anybody to do anything. Because the human will tells them right or wrong. Now you can speak truth and do some things to convince them to change their will. But if their heart doesn't change, it's not going to last very long. See? And so we have to then depend on God to change people's hearts. Isn't that what we pray? God change their hearts and show them. Reveal yourself to them. Help them to understand. Because they have to come come based on their own will. Their own volition has to bring them into the things of God. So Moses was there and he was able then to stay close to God and separate it from the people. Now when I say separated, he was separated unto God, not just separated on his own, his own flesh. So the Spirit of God really is what sanctifies us, separates us, keep us keeps us uh, in touch with God primarily. And then we can have something to share with other people. So we have to live this kind of consecrated life. If you're going to be a problem solver, and I believe everybody here is, you must commit to a life consecrated to God. And when I say that, I mean you don't put up with any monkey business, shenanigans, or funny business out of yourself. You keep that, that, uh, connection there might be certain things that you do to start your day that lets God know that he's number one and he's first place. Whatever it is that you have developed has drawn you close to God, you keep those things up and then start adding to those things. Let your walk be closer and closer to him. Because you're going to need greater and greater wisdom, greater and greater access to God. Uh, because the challenges don't get any easier. They tend to get more complicated and they get more uh, demanding. And so uh, the children of Israel stayed in a place of the congregation. And Moses stayed in a place of the leader. He stayed close to God. Moses would go for 40 days at a time. Fast uh, uh, in the presence of God, he would hike up to the mountain of the Lord where he had a regular meeting place with God, and he would go there and spend time with the Lord as much time as was necessary for the leader to get what was needed to minister to the people when he got back down with them so and this pattern is one that that ministers tend to follow even involuntarily sometimes uh, sometimes you know you'll find ministers that just feel like you know uh, you know the saints will want to go here and go no nah, I don't want to do that I think I better go home and You know, (laughs) chill or whatever, whatever. Uh, it's a, a part of, and it's not somebody trying to be funny. You know, it's it's not time for people in leadership to party all the time. It's not part time for them to kick it and sit up, put their feet up and socialize and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there should be a longing in the heart of every leader to spend quality time with God. And so I think that's, that's just right. You know, leave people alone if they don't want to Fellowship with you or don't, don't needle people about not wanting to do this that or the other and don't bug people to always want to go have, have a meal with you or have dinner with you let's go do this and that. it's cut it out. You know, we belong to God, and don't push in on people, and intrude. And if they don't want to, don't make them. Don't don't push them. You know. Now there are some times where where fellowship is is the order of the day. You know, when when we have our 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 um. Our road meetings where we all have to have a meal. We all sit down and eat together. You know what I'm saying? That's a necessary fellowship. I'm talking about voluntary stuff where, you know, I'm I'm at my house on Wednesday and somebody calls me up. Can we go here? No. Huh? You know, if it's no, it's No. But, you know, there are times where, where it is appropriate. You know, I, I, I try to make time to, to spend time with my family, uh, during some family things, but they know if it's before an empowerment meeting, I ain't gonna show up. Yes, <laughs> And nobody gets offended. You know, when the little ones were real little, uh, I would try and go to, I went to, I tortured myself at Chuck E. Cheese. Know what I'm saying? Nobody liked it and uh how could they you know Chuck E. Cheese didn't even like it I saw him running from them kids they grab him and want to beat him up and punch him and stuff you know Chucky didn't even like Chuck E. Cheese but you know I did it because it it was something that was necessary I felt at the time to not get into conflict or strife. You know what I'm saying? And just, you know, there's a grace to, to be able to allow people to see what's necessary for your life, so forth and so on. And so, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I can always use that. <laughs> you don't want to torture an old lady, do you? Stop it. Leave me alone. Old people don't like to be moved around too much. Let me stay in my, you know what I'm saying. So, Whatever. But, uh, you know, it is easier for me to stay in a flow and a routine and not interrupt that. Uh, if I get grieved in my spirit during certain things, I don't do them again. Okay? So, you know, you just have to do what you have to do. So anyway, what's important is I stay faithful to God. Amen? So, amen. So the blood lasted long enough for them to do God's purpose that they could see and, and what happens mostly with us is that we'll find grace, we'll stay in the grace of God long enough to get what we want. Well, I don't know, wake up everybody. But that is true. Uh, when our interest is, is, or our problem is solved, uh, we kind of tend to step out of the grace of God. In, in not walk in the spirit. See, there is a grace to walk in the spirit with God and walk, walk in total companionship with Him at all times, uh, so that uh, you you learn how to fellowship with Him and fulfill your first purpose in the earth. Your first first purpose is for fellowship with God. He purchased you unto Himself. And so from that, then will grow all the other things that God has called us to do. So as Israel received freedom from Egypt, they tended to go like their separate ways. This allowed fear to re-enter their lives and take over. So criticism is always an expression of fear. Whenever we uh, condemn something or it, it, at the bottom of it, there is an underlying fear there. People who have power don't criticize as much because they know they have an answer. Man, for instance, if you, um, uh I don't know, say you, you've given up on um getting a a better job or something like that and you've just you just told yourself it's not going to get any better you'll settle into a syndrome of self-pity and criticism because you fear you can't do any better That's why a lot of people do that you'll see people they'll pray for stuff for a few months or even several years so for some of them and all of a sudden now they don't want that anymore and because they, they they fear they'll never get it, and their faith has you know fallen through the cracks, and uh, they don't they they tell themselves they don't want it anymore, or they'll tell themselves God never wanted to give it to them, or they'll tell themselves something that fear is dictating that they make up in their mind so they don't feel the conviction of God to continue to pray for it. So it takes care of a problem that we have with stepping out of fear criticism always does so then you start to put it down and say it wasn't this it wasn't that it was never God I don't know you know that didn't work for me and oh that faith stuff that's phony that you can't no uh -uh, no those people over there they tell you that stuff and it doesn't work you see and so when we start to find ourselves in that boat know that you can come out but you gotta repent. You gotta tell God you're sorry for letting fear run your life again. Now how many times do we have to do that? As many times as is necessary to overcome fear because you don't overcome it by embracing it. You overcome it by resisting it like you do everything else the devil sends you. See? Sometimes fear can get to be such a comfort to us. You know, we hide behind it. You know, it's like like everybody's supposed to feel sorry for you because you're scared. Yeah, you understand me? Because it's always been that way. Now, let me tell you where where I know um, this is so prevalent and so so common. Um, it, those of you who are parents or or observe family situations or something like that, whenever a child is fearful. A small child, because their brains can't sort through and understand what to be scared of and not to be scared of. It's proper to console them, but reassure them not to be afraid. Now where parents come into conflict is that mothers will tend to console children without instructing them. And the father knows they need to be instructed not to be afraid. Because the dad knows they can't stay scared and live and survive in this world. Your child, if your child's scared of everything, they'll be swallowed up quickly by the enemy. You understand? Every bully that talks to them, they'll give them their lunch money, they'll steal out of your purse and take to give money to them. Why? Because they're being ruled by fear. Father knows you can't be ruled by fear, so he'll go overboard just like the moms overboard. They both go overboard. You can't cry. Shut up. Be a man. Don't cry even when it's a little girl. You understand what I'm saying? So my, my parents did that to us. I said one time, I said, my daddy didn't raise no punks. I said, it was four girls. <laughs> we wasn't punks neither. You know, you just, you just didn't let your children succumb to fear, you know, out of mercy. If you are, are fraught with fear, you need to learn how to resist it. Just start resisting that devil. Don't let him conquer you. You ain't no punk. Get up and say tell fear to get up out of here. Amen. You ain't my daddy. Huh? God is my father. And so the less you succumb to these things that are trying to overcome you, the more God will come to your rescue. But I'm telling you, if you want to cuddle up with fear and feel sorry for yourself, (laughs) that you ain't saying no to it. That's the craziest thing when you think about it. What are you feeling sorry for yourself for? Because you refuse to fight it. Amen. So you get up and you renounce that thing. Tell it to get out your life. And then be vigilant because fear will try and wear you out. It will keep coming back. Keep coming back. And if you're the type of person who's easily in self-pity, you'll let it in and let it in. I can't do this. I just don't know why. I can't do this. Because you quit. And he knows you're going to quit. And that's why he keeps challenging you. But at some point, if you stay with it long enough and get the determination to kick it out for good, it will leave you. Now see, I'm an expert on fear. Because nobody, none of you have been in fear like I was. And I know you haven't. Because I was housebound for five years. I was scared to go out of my house. There were certain rooms in my house I locked up because I was scared to go in them. Because I was scared I'd jump out of a window. Now until you've been there, you can't tell me you can't overcome your little nervousness. He was (laughs) touchy. So I quit being touchy. I started going around things to challenge their ability to overcome me. And little by little, I conquered them. You do the first one and do the second one, and you don't stop. See, this is where pro- people run in their problems. They do one, and whoo, that was, a, and don't do it anymore. See, we're to overcome every power of darkness. Anything that sh- takes away from you, you got to overcome it and confront it. But you got to know that God is with you, and this is God's way. It's his way of overcoming things. I would, when I decided I was gonna start driving again, I went and sat in the car, and when I got too nervous to turn the key, I got up, got back in the house, but the next day I was right back again. You gotta know how to work with stuff, folks. You gotta know that God is with you. You gotta know He's not lying and you, and I knew fear was an enemy because I, I would sit there, I said, now I remember when I used to do this stuff and it didn't bother me. And it perplexed me how it could get such a grip on me. But trying to figure it out was not the answer. See, you can't work out, uh, uh, freedom in your head and get it. You gotta actually do it. That's how faith works. Faith works by doing things. It doesn't work by sitting out trying to figure out if it's going to work out or not. You have to get up and do it. And show God that you have confidence in Him. And so this was Israel's problem. And the biggest problem was that they came into agreement with one another's fear. If you can keep yourself in a place where you don't agree with people's nonsense... Don't agree with their fear. Don't sympathize with them. Don't be a bad mommy. Huh? (laughs) A neurotic mommy. (laughs) And don't want the baby to grow up. You know? you got to let the baby grow up. And the dad is not the enemy. God is not our enemy. The person that makes you confront it is not the enemy. That person is your ally and your friend because they are looking out for your best interest. They don't want to see you dominated in fear and robbed of your life. Amen. So, and and fear won't just be in one area; it'll engulf your whole life. Amen. You'll be sitting up there, and nobody be able to be like them hoarder people. You know, you go out to a dump site and collect stuff and bring it into your. Your possession because you're afraid of the outside world. So you don't want to get like that. You want to be a person who is an overcomer. Because that's who you really are. That's who God created you to be. But you've got to take those steps to get there. You can't sit wallow in self-pity and fear and feel sorry for yourself. And then get angry at people who want to challenge that fear. That person's your friend. Amen. If you notice when children, when daddy starts telling them stuff, they get the hang of it and they like the power that they get when they can overcome things. But they can't see it when they're on the fear side of it. They can only see it once you go through the steps of getting free. That's when you realize how valuable it is. Because the devil will not let you see that when you're sitting on the fear side of it. So then the the children of Israel needed leadership to change the atmosphere that they had created for themselves. So there's an atmosphere of fear. There's an atmosphere of shrinking back. There's an atmosphere of complaint. Amen. Like when when sometimes a complaining spirit, when it sees somebody getting free, they'll go and start complaining again to grab that person back into the fold. So the enemy's desire is to keep us powerless, immobilized, And limited in our abilities to uh, just express life, express freedom, express God's best for us. He wants to immobilize us so that we can't do it. Praise God. Amen. I don't want to lose anybody. So, so Israel allowed fear to re-enter and take over through criticism. And that's, critics are fearful people. We said that. You get angry that fear, that you have fear and then you start to be critical of what's going on. Moses feared God. So that made him able uh, to obey God and not rebel with the rest of the nation of Israel. So he didn't go along with what they were saying. Saul, King Saul, when he came along, he was one of those people that compromised with the critics. So he lost his status in God because he sided with the people against God. Believers are not called to criticize but to solve problems. Our job in Christ. That's why he said go forth and preach the gospel. That's solving people's problems folks. Because man's only problem is sin and being estranged from God. That's the root of all of it. So when we go and and preach the gospel we begin to solve problems. Amen. In this day and age, critics and accusers are having their way because of mass media. Everybody can go on YouTube and publish a video. Everybody can get a blog. Everybody can get a podcast. Everybody can get, everybody can print books. So we can put our ideas out there pretty freely. So it's easy to pick up a judgmental and fearful, uh, word and release it but it does not solve the problem. So putting your two cents in and your opinion about what's going on in the world doesn't solve anything. But it makes you feel good because everybody wants to feel like their their opinions valuable. So you enter into these conversations and give your two cents and you're this and you're that. If you can't put a, a scripture behind what you say, keep your mouth shut. Because you have nothing Uh, Nothing to, to add to the problem. What you've done is you come into agreement with the problem. And you've offended God in the process. So our political, religious, and family systems are entangled with words of fear, doubt, unbelief, and accusation. God has the answers. He has commanded his church to bring those answers to the rest of humanity. So, as a church, we cannot afford to join our voices with that of our critics. When we begin to criticize the church, we join with the satanic forces, with the accuser of the brethren. I don't care if what we're saying is true, you know, factually. You know, it's true that the church does need to pray, but how do you know people aren't praying? You're not the head of the church. So, it's good to keep your mouth shut when you start to make global criticisms and indict the church of not doing her job. God has everything on a time schedule, just like he had Israel on a time schedule. He's got prayer on a time schedule. He's got everything that that's needed with prayer. You know we're a praying ministry, but I don't ever get complacent in what we're doing. Just because we pray i 'm always looking to god for for answers and if if something doesn't sit well with me, the condition of something i 'm always looking to him god what's our role in this? What do we do uh, as watchmen? what do we do what's our part and in always adding to what we do uh, if we looked at all the prayers and all of the uh <clears throat> All of the, uh, I guess, focuses over the years that we've had, we've tended to keep up with what was currently going on, not only in our nation, but in the world. And to present a solution. I don't go to other ministers and say, we need to do this and we need to do that. I know what I'm supposed to do. And so if, if they feel they want to join in, that's fine. If, if they don't, if there have been few people that I've invited to work with us on things, one has been Bishop Russell with the Rejoice Detroit. Because I thought it was important for us to get a fresh word from God, a prophetic word from God, and that's better with, with worship, you know, with flowing worship. And so, but that's it. Over, over almost 30 years. And so I don't run after people to tell them what to do. God's their boss. I don't know what your boss told you to do. And so it's, it's good to stay with what he, and, you know, and then you suffer from that, people. Well, they just stay to themselves and they don't want to just, I don't fellowship with no, no, I don't fellowship with darkness. I have no companionship and if God didn't tell me to do it, it's darkness as far as I'm concerned. I don't care how nice y'all are to me. Or how much you say, I need to do this. You don't know what I need to do. You're not my boss. And so you have to stand on what God's given you, folks, to, to, to be a leader who solves problems. Because what happens is eventually those people run into some trouble and then they have nowhere to go. And then they come Knocking on your door, looking for prayer. Oh, yeah, we're doing this and that. I just wondered if you could pray for us. Well, sure, of course I'll pray for you. But if I'm entangled in that mess with you, then who's going to pray for me? You understand what I'm saying? So you have to do what what God, and that's leadership, folks. That's not standoffish, and that's not better than somebody. I'm not looking to be anything. Amen. So it's good if you cannot look to be anything but what God has called you to be. But be that and be that to the max. Amen. And so God has answered. He answers and he has commanded his church to bring those to the earth. To humanity. So we can't afford to join our voices with that of our critics. We've got to stand apart from them. As Moses did. He ascended to the mountain of the Lord and returned with power and authority. So when you ascend, we know where you went, If you, depending upon what you come back with. You come back with power and authority, we know you've been with God. You come back with defeat, shenanigans, no answers, you missed it. But that doesn't mean you have to miss it forever. You can, you can get with God. So I'm gonna go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3 and we'll show you the entrance of fear into humanity and how God resolved the problem of fear. Amen? He has a resolution for it. He will always resolve the problem of fear because he does not when jesus would approach the disciples i don't care how if he had just had lunch with them when he would say fear not he meant that you got me because and he doesn't speak to something that's not a problem (laughs) you know you can go to people and say now don't be i'm not scared and that was fear talking right there see they don't like to be exposed Amen. And so many times, you know, you you take one on the chin trying to get people delivered from themselves from these entangling devils that wants to keep them immobilized. So in Genesis chapter 3, we see how God resolves these things. Now, I like God because he deals with things in a timely manner. And he dealt with the fear that had engulfed the man and the woman immediately. He has a remedy. He's not waiting. You know, he's not going to let you stew in your problem until you figure out that you need help and like you know all that witchcraft stuff. He's not in that. And so, uh, in Genesis chapter three. He got the man and the woman to eat, the he gave it to the woman first and she saw that it was uh uh she looked at it first and, and her opinion of it changed. And this is this is how iniqu- iniquity operates. It changes your vision, it changes your view, it changes your opinion, it changes your dislike from a like and your like to a dislike. So when iniquity enters a person's heart that was once faithful to God, they'll start to get critical and negative. First on God's people is always the church is the problem. They don't do this. They don't do that. They should do this. They should do that. If we could do this, we'd be just like the church. down All that kind of stuff. So iniquity, that's an expression of iniquity. You need to Repent. You can't build and tear down at the same time. Amen? Amen. So stop it. Learn how to be one way or the other. Like Jesus said hot or cold. Don't get to where you wishy washy. I can't stand that. Because cold people he can warm you up. And hot people he can tone you down if he needs to. But that in the middle thing. He can't deal with that. So the serpent was was more Subtle. Than any, any of the cattle. And so he kept questioning the woman. And challenging what she believed. Be careful of people who challenge what you believe. Especially when you believe in God. If you believe in something stupid. You know that a challenge is in order. But if you believe in God. Be careful of people who want to challenge what you believe. You know. You have to go to church every Saturday. Yeah. Devil. You go, you wanna go shopping devil? You go shopping every Saturday, but I'm going to church. Got me. Do you have to give them all your money? I don't give them all my money. God only requires a tenth and that's if I believe it. You understand what I'm saying? If I can't believe for ten percent, I do what I can believe till I can get there. It's called mercy. God's merciful. He's not trying to beat us up. You have to? No, I want to. So then, the eyes of the the both the woman saw that the tree was good. This is verse six, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desired to make one wise. So she believes. She come into agreement with the devil's criticism of her lifestyle. Her lifestyle was to avoid that tree. He critiqued her lifestyle and tried to put shame on her for living for God. Got me? So shame first enters here before she obeys him. They make you ashamed of, you know, being a Christian, ashamed of uh, serving God, ashamed of giving, ashamed of the way you you dress modestly. The devil will make you ashamed of that. Got me? And, you know, really, to be honest with you, most women, when they... They see that the God requires modesty. You know, you get a, a dress below your knees and you're relieved. Cause the knees are probably the most ugly thing. They're too skinny, too knobby, too fleshy. Too <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So let's all cover them up. Do ourselves a favor. We don't have to, there's one body flaw you don't have to be concerned about anymore. Got me? Come on now, let's just be realistic here. Just allow God to help us. It ain't all bad. You know, they'll make you think that that uh you know God's restrictions are somehow making you ugly. I wish he'd start talking to some of these women about these leggings they wear and tights they Lord. We ain't stuffing sausages here. Come on, girl. They put some slacks on. That's why they call them slacks. Because they cut you some slack. But everybody don't look good in them things. Just ridiculous. But see, that's the shame the enemy puts on people for living for God. So you've got to be ashamed of how you dress. So you've got to dress stupid like street people do. Sinners do. Just get over there with the stupid bunch. So then it says when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, tree to to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her. Both of them there at the time. And they did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So the shame came in as a motivator to get them to disobey. Be careful with people who want to always tear you down and make you ashamed of who you are. What you do, how you dress, how you speak, if you pray, if you fast, if you whatever, whatever. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees in the garden. And God called him and said, where are you? And he answered, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So, what happens when we sin? We become aware of our faults and our flaws. And the things that we used to think were good things about us, we don't like them anymore. Amen? And so fear and shame... Come in to cause us to hide from God. And this is how we live our lives. Until we can't hide anymore. And we get tired of running from him. And we surrender and give our lives back to him where they came from. Amen. And so God devises a plan to allow them to know. Exactly what's wrong, it's called repentance, it's called being aware of your sin, and what effect it will have on their lives, and what the remedy is. All in one conversation. So God is not slow to help us, folks. That's my main point here. He immediately wants to help them, but He has to help them with knowledge. You can't be helped if you don't know what the problem is. You can't be afraid to confront the root of your problem if you want to be free. Because the answer is right there next to the exposure. See mostly we think people expose us and want to embarrass us. So we want to cover up and not confess and not admit I hate it when I see Christians living in that kind of bondage. Oh no, that's not what it is. (laughs) I say, it is what it is. You've just nailed yourself right there. Why are you so anxious if that's not what it is? Or they'll make you go through, you know, people make you go through 20 questions with them. When they know what the problem is, they need to confess it. And I don't know what it is. And you say, I'll tell you what it is. I don't think that's it. Yeah, it is. Would you come to me for me to lie to you? I'm not playing games with you. If you want to receive it, you don't have to. But I'm telling you, that's what the situation is. It's so common, I don't even hardly have to wait for a word of knowledge to figure this one out. You got me? You know, God's smart. Sometimes he'll pre-prep the preacher with the answer before you even get the words out your mouth. You understand what I'm saying? You see people coming and know what the dealio is if you stay in the spirit. And you know, people think you got to figure stuff out and pray about it 15 minutes. God ain't that slow. I can prove to you in this passage of scripture, He ain't slow at all. I want to see you free. I want to see you walking around. Being scared and in bondage. Missing from church for a month. Because you feel so bad you don't want to be around. i like come on now. Let's just get rid of this stuff. Let's just go on and walk in liberty. Then you know when sometimes the devil get people. When you finally get to the root of your problem and get free. The devil say you should have done that months ago. You could have been living like this all this time. And condemn you for getting your freedom. Stop listening to the devil. People say stupid stuff like that. I wish I could have got saved years ago. You didn't want to be saved then. Are you kidding me? God wasn't going to waste his time with you. You was too busy kicking it and popping it. And my boys, we know my posse don't do this and my posse don't do that. Honey, please. You got saved at the correct time. Don't indict anybody for your rebellion. In fact, you don't even have to indict yourself. Just say that, God, I thank you, I got saved when I got saved. Go find somebody on the deathbed and offer salvation to them. Tell them it's never too late. <laughs> so here we got Adam and Eve, scared of their nakedness, ashamed, hiding from God. God finds them anyway. Now see, it's amazing the grace of God because they could have been destroyed right there. Because they were in sin and God's righteous. You can't look at the face of God and live, they always said. They could have fried right there. But God graces them to intercede for them. And He, God said, who told you that? Have you eaten of the tree where I've commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, instead of saying yes, and the woman saying yes, the woman you gave me, she gave me the tree and I eat. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent gave it to me. So here's hot potato. Amen. Just bouncing the hot potato around from one to the next. And so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this. See, this is where God gets to the root of problems. Blame is not the problem. You got me? Blame's not the problem, it's a symptom of the problem. God first curses the root of their problem, who is the devil. So he goes to the root, and then he'll deal with the fruit. Blame is the fruit, it's not the root. Amen? The root is iniquity. Caused by the devil. Amen. And God says to the devil. Because you have done this. He pronounces the first curse on Satan. When the root is cursed. Then the rest of the tree will die. Jesus showed that in Mark 11.22. Amen. So when the root is cursed. The rest of the fruit will die. Fruit cannot survive without the root, but if you don't get to the root of it, huh? You won't see people think the root of their emotional problems is their childhood. That's not the root, the root's the devil, huh? You were treated bad because of the devil, not because of parents, bad parents. Two nice parents, passive parents, whatever, you got screwed up because of the devil. So you're not to live there anymore because you're a new creature in Christ. But you gotta forgive all the stuff you've been blaming all these years in order to walk in newness of life. I blame my parents, that's common for kids to blame their parents because they're authority figures. It's, you know, your parents were just so. Everybody's parents is rough according to them. Because little kids want to boss everybody around. And they don't have enough brains to do nothing. But they're ready to boss everything. So parents have to put the squash on that nonsense. Tell so you go sit down somewhere till you learn some sense. Huh? So he, verse 14, God curses the serpent first. He says you're cursed above all cattle. So the serpent is the most cursed of all animals. You know, dogs seem to be the least. You got me? Because they can easily obey man. See, there's evidence of the life in the garden before iniquity set in. When you see how people are able to manage pets. Men? Cats are a little, eh, you know. Like Queenie and I, no, I'm the queen around here. You get out of here. We don't need another. That spot's been taken already. <laughs> yeah, you know, cats act like, "Don't touch me. I don't need you." And I said, so "Go, you know, get on out of here." And they live very well outside. Dogs don't do so well. They usually need to find a human companion, so there's there's something you know they're called man's best friend for a reason, because they 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 are a, a leftover, if you will, of our life before iniquity, when that enmity set between man and beast, amen. So they're they're a leftover from that. I always in in a way admire people who like to try and tame wild animals even though i think it's very foolish but you can see a vestige of what adam had when he the adam the animals were their friends you got me most people don't live to tell a good story about their animal wild animal training but but you can see there's a drawing there because of what God leaves in us from so not everything is dead from where we were before the enemy came in so he puts a curse on the serpent in your belly you shall go and eat dust all the days of your lives everybody knows snakes are blind and they have to lick their tongues out constantly to get direction Dust, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It will bruise your head and you shall bruise its heel. So it won't be that the, that, the, that we will be without damage in some in, in this conflict against Satan. He gets to put some bruises on us. But Jesus crushes his head. And renders him powerless against humanity at the cross. Amen. He said unto the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. So many more children are conceived than are born, and just in truth, infant mortality used to be very, very high. Uh, childhood illnesses claimed a lot of children. He says in sorrow you shall bring forth children. It's labor pains. But your desire will be towards your husband. And he will have rule over you. So in iniquity the man has rule or dominion over the wife. Or headship or leadership. And unto Adam. Now in Christ the Bible says there's no male or female. So what God does is he in a domestic sense. And this is to keep family life stable. God God continues headship but under him toward the man over the woman and the rest of the household. Somebody's got to lead this mess. Or we don't go nowhere. And so God honors the headship of the husband but not this rulership. This is where Muslims get their Sharia. That's under the curse. Amen. When the curse is broken through redemption, the man is the head, leader, provider. So there is a, if you will, kind of a soft tyranny. You got me? He's still the head. God still expects him to be responsible for that household. So I don't care if, you know, you got drama and all that kind of stuff if you'll pray. God will cause that man to come forth as the leader in that household. But not in the uh, uh, tyrannical rule that is under the curse. In the curse you see a lot of domestic violence. Why? Because women talk back. Amen. And men think they're supposed to be the boss. So you go going to have that kind of stuff. And, and to Adam he said, because you've hearkened to the voice of your wife... And not God and have into eaten the tree. So it's not that you don't listen to your wife. But if you listen to her and disobey God you're in trouble. If you listen to her and she confirms what, what God's saying to you. You gained an ally and you have strength. You have dominion that God wanted you to have. So you listen to her in disobedience. He said, "Cursed is the ground for your sake, and sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So you're going to have to. This ground is going to work against you, instead of you being able to speak to it and make it bring forth what you want. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth. So you're going to get a mean crop coming against you, and you shall eat the herb of the field." In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken. For dust you are and dust you shall return. Adam called his wife's name Eve. She was Adam before the fall because she was the mother of all living. So they were co-equal from the beginning but now there has to be kind of a hierarchy kind of thing. Now, the man was considered to be the authority, I believe, before the fall because he was created first. And Paul alludes to that in one of the epistles. The woman was created for the man and not the man for the woman. And so it must be that the man understands something about his needs that the woman does not. Amen. And so that makes her somewhat subject to him. But in God's way of doing things, she was not separated from him as to her calling. Their name was her calling. So Adam was Adam and Eve was Adam before the fall. After the fall, they had to have their roles separated out. You see God separating out the roles when he tells her she's got to, to, um, uh bear children and there'll be a lot of them. So what that means is that that's going to be her a main job for her and she won't have time to have the rulership relationship that they had before. You know what I mean? And so in and you can see that as society has progressed, uh women have had a lot easier time managing households. They don't have as many children. They don't, it's not as time consuming. Work isn't as time consuming. Housework. So what do they do? They go off to the mall. They go off and (laughs) spend more money. You understand what I'm saying? Life has gotten easier because of Christ. Christianity brought that into. Christianity brought inventions into the world. Things that decrease our labor come as a result of the light of the gospel coming in, and it sheds in on everybody. Amen. Everybody gets to be a partaker of that. And so, God told them, He said, Eve, mother of all living, and that's born out. She bears children, but also she takes care of everything that moves. You know. Kids know if they bring a stray dog, oh, Ma, she'll let us keep him. Oh, Ma's going to be mad. Yeah, she'll be mad for a while, but she'll let us. Yeah, because we nurture everything. Amen. So Adam also said, verse 21, to Adam also he said to his wife, Did the Lord make coats and, and made coats of skin and clothed them? So this was the first understanding of an atonement. God made coats of skin and clothed them. That was the remedy that shed blood, you'll always see that coming as a remedy. You saw it here in Exodus when they came out of Egypt. Blood was the remedy. Here in the garden, blood's the remedy. So that blood was shed, and that animal that was slain clothed them and covered their sin. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, Jesus is the only one of the Godhead that knows good and evil. Amen. He says, And now lest he put forth his hand and take the tree of life and eat forever, God sent him forth out of the garden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove the man and placed at, at, uh, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims with a flaming sword which turned every which way. To keep the way of the tree of life. So we know that the way to the tree of life is tied up in this blood sacrifice in some way. And so that's as much as Adam and Eve know at that time. That they've got to shed blood for the remission of their sins. If they get into a problem that's too big. They've got to make a sacrifice at an altar so that God can send a remedy. This is something that was indelibly printed In their minds. That's why you see blood covenants in all kinds of segments of society. I don't care where you go. You'll find somebody who is an enemy of somebody. And they want to make friends. And they instinctively know that the shedding and mingling of blood makes them friends. Amen, And that's just true. These things that God does here in the beginning are the truth of God. And so God puts the remedy because he's a problem solver. He doesn't accuse them of wrong and curse them without the remedy. You got me? The remedy is always present in everything that God does. And that's why he's given us the message of the blood atonement. For the remedy for all of, I don't care what kind of problem you run into with somebody and you pray for them. The blood is always the remedy. Because the blood pays that the word will come to pass. It pays for you to have a word of knowledge to get the right word to minister to them. It does everything. So the shed blood of Jesus is the remedy for every problem of humanity. But you can't get most people to understand that. How do you get them to understand? You have to pray and ask God to lead you to the correct people that need him and are ready to hear his message. If you don't ever pray for that, it won't ever happen. That's why we get empty chairs here. Don't blame me for them. I'm as much responsible as you are. But we've got to go and bring the message of Christ to people. Because we're not just wanting to fill this place up by advertising and pretending to be Christians and watering down a message. You want people to come in who are really saved and really want to go forward in God. Amen. And so if, if if we're not sold on the message, then we need to be. Because that's it. The message is not seeker friendly services. Where you just get people in here and blast a lot of music and get you a band so they can feel good and jump around and then go out the same way they came in. There's tons of places they can go and be anonymous when they do it. But you want God who want who God wants to be a part of what we're doing here because he wants his work to continue. And if God has to wait and wait and wait, he'll do it. But I'm telling you, we're going to... To allow people to understand what God wants. Just, just quit being scared of people. Quit being intimidated by crazy relatives. You know, quit being a mealy mouth and trying to compromise so that they'll feel comfortable. They're never gonna feel comfortable with you if they love sin and you love God. And so we have to understand folks that we are problem solvers, but we've got to get About with the message. Amen. We've got to get about with telling people. What God has to offer them. The better life that they can live. Because of Jesus. What he's done for us. And how he's changed us. Because of his life we live. Amen. Father we thank you for your word. And for understanding. Thank you Lord for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you Father that we are called. To carry your message. We are called to solve problems. Throughout this earth. We love you and we honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen.